If you have a Bible this morning and like to follow along, we're, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2. And went a little out of sequence last week. I addressed and used as the text verse number 9 as we spoke about a nation within a nation. So I'm going to kind of catch up this morning with those first eight verses. I'm going to read 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 8. You can follow along if you'd like there as we continue this study in 1 Peter. Peter, bless his heart, I'm so glad that Peter finally got his foot out of his mouth because God used Peter in an incredible way, a phenomenal way. And, um, and the insights that God gave to Peter about the local church and, and working as, as believers is just phenomenal. And so let me read Second uh, Peter, First Peter. First Peter, sorry. I'm looking at First Peter and I'm telling you Second Peter. First Peter. Let me read verse one, uh, one through eight. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and all evil, evil speakings as newborn babes desire sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be that ye have tasted that Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God and, and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. It's a scary thing to look at your text and to think, to realize, have I seen this before? This, uh, this teaching of Peter here in verses 1 through 8 is phenomenal. I'm excited to share it with you. And as I got to reading it, I'm think my, my heart just lit up because of what's in here. Um, notice he says, wherefore, he begins the passage, wherefore, based upon what he said in the past, previously, leading up to this point, wherefore, or because of what I've just shared with you, wherefore, we're supposed to do these things. And so this morning, I want to bring a message entitled, The Distinctiveness of Believers, how Peter lays out how you and I are to be different. We're not to be the same as the church, or as the, the folks out there. The church is to be unique. It's supposed to be different. We learned last week we're supposed to be peculiar. Well, we learned what that word meant. The word means purchased. We are his purchased ones. And so this morning, let's have a word of prayer and then get into this passage here where Peter describes how you and I are supposed to act. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for the song service. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you, and I thank you for the privilege that we have to call upon you. And now, Lord, I'm calling upon you, asking your spirit to be thick in this place this morning. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for the truths that you've laid on my heart. And I pray, Lord, that you might hide me this morning 
and reveal yourself to us in a fresh way. We need you. Lord, I can't help but believe that the time is short, that you're going to be calling us home to be with you any day now. And that means our opportunities to share the gospel with the lost are very limited. So, Lord, open our eyes to what you'd have for us, I pray, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Wherefore, laying aside, wherefore, because of the truths of the previous chapter, a couple of those truths, like the word of the Lord endureth forever. God's word endures forever. That which we have the privilege of opening day after day after day, reading and learning more about Christ, is going to endure forever. Secondly, you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Jesus came to this sin-cursed planet, and he did so out of a love for you and for me, and he shed his blood. He allowed his body to be pierced, beaten, bruised, and in a most shameful manner, he gave himself for us. Because of that, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, because of the blessings that we saw in this previous chapter, we're to lay aside. Literally means to put away or to cast off. Well, what are we to lay aside? We list five different things. And basically, if you look at them closely, they're all kinds of harm to others. How I can hurt someone else. Malice. Malice, that's doing bad. It's depravity. Evil. Naughtiness. Wickedness. All guile. Well, guile has to do with deceit. Or trickery. Hypocrisies is acting apart. It's putting on a front. It's not being real. It's deceit. Envies. Envies is ill will toward another. Desiring for them harm. Desiring that they not improve or get better. Ill will is spite. And then evil speakings is basically defama defamation or slander. Speaking evil, talking bad about others. Well, what are we to lay aside? Being bad to others. Treating others poorly. Why? Because the word of the Lord endureth forever, and because we were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Here's some lessons from laying aside. The blessings we have in Christ should motivate us to lay aside any thought of bringing hurt to someone else. When we, you and I, understand what we have in Christ, we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve salvation. We didn't deserve Jesus Christ going to the cross in the first place. We didn't deserve any of that because we're sinners. But because of his mercy, he gave to us the free gift of eternal life. And because of that, we, you and I, we who have received so much, should almost automatically lay aside any desire of hurting somebody else. Why would we, after all, want to hurt somebody? Well, our old carnal nature loves to profit at others' expense. Remember old Bernie Madoff? So many in this world who, who are driven to get better. 
to make more at the expense of others or to make ourselves look better. We want to push others down because look what it does to us. It makes us look so much better or to, uh, because we, quite frankly, are envious. We're envious. So we want to do spite to someone else or talk bad about them. Why? Because we are envious of them, what they're getting or what they've done. Notice in verse 2 and 3, As newborn babes desire the sincere, milk, the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Crave God's word. We should have a craving, a desire. It's like, it's like a newborn baby has a craving for milk. He said we are to desire. Young believers who come to Christ and find how gracious he is, a willingness to welcome him in, find that he is so wonderful they want to have more. They want to learn more of him. They begin to crave the truths of God's word that they might spiritually grow. It's interesting, when I started studying this verse and breaking it apart, there is an imperative or a command in this word. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, the word desire is not a suggestion. It's a command. It's in, it's in the imperative. We are told you must, just like newborn babies, desire, you and I are to desire the sincere milk of the word. Developing a hunger for God's word is mandatory for the believer. Your appetite for the word will largely correlate to your closeness to the Lord. Draw close to him and you'll have a hunger, a thirst for his word. My wife makes for me a dessert that quite frankly I crave. Frequently on a birthday or something, she makes this dessert. She made it not too long ago, and it's it's very simple dessert. It's got strawberries and it's got blueberries. They're all cut up, and then and it's, it's got pieces of pound cake, and then it's got a, a whipped topping and a mixture and this beautiful trifle. I just I, I love it. In fact, I could have some right now. It's the, it's just incredible. But you know, some of the reasons I like it, I like it because I like it first of all because in my mind I have created this image that is healthier than other desserts. And so that makes me feel better about it. It's healthier. I love it because she made it for me. It's special to me because she made it. I love it because it's a beautiful dessert. As it sits there on the table, this beautiful crystal-like trifle dish, and you can see through all the different layers. It's a beautiful dessert. And then I thought, I crave God's word because it's healthy for me. I crave God's word because it was written for me. And I, I crave God's word because it's a beautiful revelation of Jesus Christ, God's Son. We're to crave God's word. And it goes into an interesting conversation here in, in verse number four. He says, to whom coming as unto a living stone, Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. <clears throat> Speaks of himself as a stone. Of course, we've seen other references to Christ as a rock. Interesting that he would refer to himself as an inanimate object. A stone, a rock. Peter, in this passage, makes a reference to a story 
that was well known by the Jews of his day. And I'll read you a reference here, an excerpt here from a commentary. He says, when the temple was being built, the cornerstone of the temple had been sent ahead from the quarry and the builders rejected it as not being in the right stone. When the time came to set the cornerstone, they sent word to the quarry asking that it be sent. The builders were informed it had already been sent and they had rejected it. They thus were chagrined to find the carefully crafted cornerstone lying out in the weeds where it had been cast aside. In masonry construction, the cornerstone was the most important piece of the structure for it aligned the structure in three dimensions. The parallel to Jesus Christ is obvious. God sent his cornerstone to become the foundation of his plan of redemption for mankind. He was rejected by the very people for whom he came. Jews today are still looking for their Messiah, though he already came and was rejected. Peter's audience of growing new believers had come to trust in this Jesus, this Messiah, in spite of the general belief that he was a fraud and a deceiver. In Isaiah 8:14, it says, And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Notice the contrast. He came offering himself to be a sanctuary, a place that we could come and reside in. That's why he came. He offered himself as such. But to those who rejected him, he became a stone of stumbling. Verse 5, he says to these young believers, Ye also as lively, or we would say living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. These believers become his temple. They become his priests. With the image of the temple in his mind, Jesus likens the new believers to living stones. He sees this beautiful temple, this image. He's the cornerstone. And he sees these new believers as living stones building this enormously beautiful temple. All part of the temple building. They are part of the temple and at the same time, priests serving in the temple. The priest's responsibility was to offer up prayers and sacrifices to God. The new believers should offer up prayers and sacrifices. We're priests. I no longer have to go to a man to bring my requests to take to God. I can go directly to God. I can pray to God. Why? Because in this dispensation today, we believers are priests. We can pray to God. He can hear us. And we're to bring him sacrifices. I don't remember the last time I took an animal and slit its throat and laid it on the altar. No, but there are sacrifices that I am to perform. For instance, in Psalm 4, verse 5, it says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Again, in Psalm 51, verse 19, Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon the altar. And the sacrifices 
we offer the Lord should come with clean hands. God is not honored when we try and appease Him with, with offerings and sacrifice while living in sin. He wants us to come to Him in, in righteousness. The Bible college student who feels he can indulge in a secret sin because he's sacrificing so much to get into the ministry thinks he can deserves some sin. Secondly, choices of righteousness sometimes involve sacrifice. Spiritual sacrifices, first of all, of righteousness. Secondly, in Psalm 50 and verse 14, offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Have you taken time this morning, already this morning, to thank God? Thank you, God, for... Thank you, God, for my land. We have so much for which to be grateful. Thank you, God, for this beautiful morning. I thanked Him for His majesty this morning, for His greatness, for His mercy. Oh, how I have put His mercy to the test. I thanked Him for His patience, for His willingness to accept someone like me. I thanked Him for His provision. I thanked Him for Hope Baptist Church. I thanked Him for you. We are to offer spiritual sacrifices of righteousness, thanksgiving. In Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Josiah received word from the Lord of Judgment because Judah had forsaken God. God rewarded his response. One of the most incredible kings of Judah was a young man named jo uh, Josiah. He became king at eight years of age. In 2 Kings 22, verse, eight, verse 19, Because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes, and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. He offered him a broken and a contrite spirit. I wonder how many times we, we sin and we come to God and say, Oh God, forgive me again. I blew it again. I'm sorry, Lord. Have a good day. Sorry. Sorry. Is it possible that our heart would change over sin if we were standing at the foot of the cross and realizing that every blood drop that flowed from Jesus' body was because of our sin? Because of that word that we spoke in anger? Because of that resentment that we held in our heart? Because of that deceit? Is it possible that our times of confession would become more real. Peter says to young believers, you need to offer sacrifices, one of which is a broken and a contrite spirit. We should maintain a sensitivity to sin, viewing it just like God views it as impure and unrighteous, exactly opposite of how our flesh sees it. Sin is that which put Jesus on the cross and condemns people to hell. 
we should see sin like we do the area after a blanket of fog has finally lifted. We can clearly see what was being shrouded before. Next offering we should give, quite frankly, is ourselves. We should be willing to lay ourselves on the altar. 2 Corinthians 8, 5, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord, and unto us by the will of God. Romans 6, 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, brother, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Of all these sacrifices that I've mentioned, I believe none is as great as putting ourselves on the altar. Saying, Lord, it's me, I surrender all. It was a great day when I was back in ninth grade. I was going to a Bible camp in Nebraska. And while, I think it was the last night of camp, if I remember. The preacher was up there. I couldn't tell you a thing the preacher preached, but my heart was broken. And I believed that God was calling me to make a decision to give him my life. The preacher had talked about dedicating your life to full-time Christian serving. I had not heard the term before. But I knew God was speaking to my life. I went forward and knelt there, and I said, God, I don't understand totally what this means, but my life is yours. I'm giving you my life, and I'm dedicating my life to full-time Christian service. I have, since that time, had to make some similar commitments because I felt myself drifting off course somewhat. And the Lord speaking to my heart and once again kneeling down and saying, Lord, I give you my life once again. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you laid yourself on the altar? Peter said, ye also as lively stones or as, as spiritual parts of the spiritual temple need, need to, first of all, lay yourself on the altar. And say, Lord, to you I surrender all. He continues his discussion about stones in verse 6. Wherefore also it's contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Well, first of all, where was this cornerstone in scripture? Isaiah 28, 16, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Sion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. So this passage is taken right out of the book of Isaiah. God is the one that laid Jesus as this chief cornerstone upon which the local New Testament church was to build. The chief cornerstone was chosen for its rigid perfection and angles so as to give the right guide for the walls in three directions and laid as the beginning of the foundation. Just as the cornerstone 
unites two walls. So Jesus unites Jews and the Gentiles as one. Verse 4, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Notice, speaking of Jesus, the chief cornerstone, he's called elect and precious. Elect meaning chosen. He was specifically chosen for the task. Christ was chosen by the Father for his mission to come and die for man. He was most precious and that he alone could offer sinless blood to become our propitiation, the full payment for our sin, the appeasement of God. Believing on him, we will not be, the word's confounded. The word confounded means to shame down, to disgrace, to dishonor. There's no shame, he says, in believing in Jesus. Though we may face persecution for our stand for Christ, and that might include some being shamed. This gives us assurance that when we stand before the Lord, there will be no shame. We'll rejoice in the outcome of our decision to trust Him. Speaking to somebody just yesterday, we're talking about going out and knocking on doors and, and sharing the gospel. And this is a fellow that I've been doing some discipling. And he said, well, have you ever had somebody persecute you? And I said, honestly, no. I can't stand here and honestly tell you that I've been persecuted for the gospel. I remember in Bible college, we'd have to go out on weekends, and we'd go door knocking and spend all day on Saturday there. And, 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 and the Bible college had been doing it enough years, most people knew who we, who we were. And there was a couple times where teenagers would come out. I'd have to wipe the spit off, get spit on. Remember, a gang surrounded a couple of us and were taunting us for a while. My, my bus captain, bless his heart, my bus captain, who's in the ministry today doing a wonderful, wonderful job pastoring in Southern California, my bus captain was, was about this tall, but he was a fireball. I remember us running up the stairs in an old building one time, an old apartment building, and literally running. The stairs. We get to the top, and, and it's very dark there, as was the case with many of those, those tenement houses. And he goes over to a door, and he bangs as hard as he could on that door. And then he stands behind me. His door throws open. Here's this monster of a guy, and he basically just growls. Well, we had taken, I hadn't paid attention, but running up the stairs, there was this landing there, and then his door. And the landing probably was about 10 feet, I'm going to guess, before you get to the door. He put his arms on my shoulders and started walking me back, and he went to push me down the stairs. Gratefully, I grabbed onto the rail and couldn't go much farther than that. But have I been persecuted? No. No, good night. Think of Paul. Think of Paul. What he went through. Think of the martyrs who were burned at the stake for their convictions. And we have somebody that said, oh, you're one of those, and we think we've been persecuted. We're afraid to tell others about Christ because, oh, what do they think? He says, there's no shame. He says, there's no shame in believing in Jesus. And when we stand before the Lord, we stand before the Lord. 
will realize there ought to have been no shame standing before our Savior. You see, in verse number 7, two responses to Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto they were also appointed. Well, so to the disobedient, many those who reject him, those who refuse to obey his simple call, come unto me, they dis disobedient. To those, he becomes a stumbling block. He is that oppressive centerpiece around which everything swirls in their life. The unsaved will learn that he is the head of everything and will one day become their judge. In Revelation 20 and verse 11 and 12, And I saw a great white throne judgment, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Though it's not specified here, this is talking about Jesus being the judge. Jesus, the judge. To the disobedient. He's oppressive. And he became a stone of stumbling those who disallowed or rejected him. Romans 9.32, Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. In 1 Corinthians 1.23, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. The Jews refused to accept Jesus as their Messiah, and to them he became a stumbling block. That piece of their puzzle that confounded them. He also became a rock of offense, especially to rejecting Jews. Jesus became an offense to them, and their Fierce loyalty to their traditions. The word offense comes from a word which we get the word scandal. Paul demonstrated before he met Christ how he believed that Jesus was scandalous to Judaism. To the unbelievers, to the disobedient, he's a rock of offense. Ah, but to believers... To believers, and we come to the end of our eight verses here. To believers, it's precious. It's precious. Is he precious to you today? The lovely Lord Jesus, the one who died on the cross, was buried and rose again. Is he precious to you? Or is that fact just a historical fact that you know exists, but it has not changed your life? Did Jesus, in your mind, stay back in that setting? Or for those who know him, is he ever living to make intercession for you?
Was he there this morning when you woke up? And you spent time with him? Was he there meeting you and comforting you? Is he indeed precious? I read that toward the top of the most precious gemstones is the blue diamond. Now I'm telling you this totally ignorant. It's just what I found on the internet. And it said it valued at $3.93 million per carat. Currently, the pink diamond pink star is the most expensive gemstone in the world. It was bought at Sotheby's auction at an incredible $71.2 million for one rock. The stone was mined at South Africa and weighs 59.6 carats. What's interesting that what makes these particular stones so valuable is the combination of their rarity and their beauty. What makes Jesus Christ precious? Well, partly for what Jesus offers believers. He offers us salvation. He, he offers us provision, security, fellowship. You see, the greater our faith grows, the more precious he becomes. Adversely, the more precious he becomes, the greater our faith grows. Because Jesus, the chief cornerstone, is precious, we can, first of all, lay aside all thoughts of hurt to others. Because he is so precious to me, how could I ever think ill toward you? Because he is so precious, it causes me to crave his word crave it, to long for it. And because he's precious, we can become his temple and his priests, praying, praying fervently and offering him spiritual offerings. And then lastly, because he's so precious, we can build our lives upon his foundation the body of Christ, the church, because he's precious. There's a, a distinctiveness I see in these eight verses, a unique quality that's being described as he talks about those young believers who have come to Christ. And Peter said, this should be how you behave, all because of the wonderful gift you have in Christ. So two things, number one, do you have Christ? Is Christ for you more than just a thought, more than ideal, more than just historical knowledge? Or has he become your savior? Has there been a time in your life, and you know, has there been a time in your life where you came to Christ, believing that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and three days later rose again? Has there, has there come a time in your life where you came to him, you confessed your sin because you realized you were a sinner and it's impossible for sin to enter into heaven. You came to him and you confessed your sinful condition and you trusted in him and him alone to save you. 
Oh, but Pastor Elder, I've just always believed. Think about this. So has the devil. But the, the devil has never cast his trust on Jesus Christ, the Savior. Have you confessed that you're a sinner? And have you trusted in Jesus, the Savior? Are you saved? Number two. If you're saved, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, is your life living out this beautiful distinctiveness described in these eight verses? Are you as a living stone, a spiritual stone, priest, praying, offering up gifts, spiritual offerings? Does that characterize your life? We have a decision to make this morning as I go to prayer. And that is, and I'm, as I'm going to, am I going to leave this place the same way that I came in? If I came in not knowing Christ, am I going to leave the same way? If I do know Christ and I came in that way, am I going to leave at the same spiritual level that I came in? Or am I determined to get closer to Christ? And to realize what we have in that precious gift of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these verses, for the insights that you gave Peter. Lord, we're so unworthy of this truth, but we thank you for it. And Lord, how far short we often fall in reflecting you like we should. And Lord, how often we get shamed to share the name of Christ. How foolish. Lord, you are precious. Help us this morning to draw even closer to you, and as a result of our faith to grow. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder, first of all, do you know Jesus? Has there been a time in your life where you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone to forgive you and to save you? Do you know 100% for sure that if you died, you go to heaven? If not, if not, I'd like to pray for you. Oh, I'd never embarrass you. I'd never call your name out. No one's looking around. If you're here this morning and do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, could I pray for you? Would you put your hand up so that I could see it? Nobody else, just put your hand up so I could see it and pray for you. Anyone? Pastor, I don't know for sure I'm saved, but I want to know. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? I trust then that we are in a body of believers. Is Jesus precious to you this morning? Was he precious enough for you to spend time with him already this morning? Was he precious enough to give you a craving for his word? Or do you need this morning to come to him and confess that you've not been close to him like you should? Draw nigh to Christ. He'll draw nigh to you. Would you commit to him this morning, I pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this sweet time we've spent together. 
Lord, thank you for these sweet truths, and I pray that you might help us to apply them to our lives as we commit them to you. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.